Hey, all right, this is the country. My name is Justin Weller. You're listening to episode eight, originally recorded on Saturday, September 26th, 2020. And with me today is my friend, Matt Nichols. Matt is a graphic artist, creative director for a national association, and also has worked on a number of campaigns, including the Obama campaign for president. So here follows a discussion with Matt about all things for all people. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, Matt, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for bringing me on here today. I've, I've, I heard you do this uh, with Lucas, I guess, on, on one, and I've heard uh, a couple before. I think your first one was with your son, so I've, I've found it pretty enjoyable, so I appreciate being invited to, to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you can make it, and I, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, you know, I think uh, it's it's always nice to kind of hear a little bit about the guest before we get into, you know, the, the meat of the podcast. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you do? What do you like? That sort of thing. Oh, well, I don't want to put your audience to sleep just yet because I'm not uh, the most interesting man in the world. But <laughs> uh, let's see, typical Joe Schmo. Uh, I work in 95, like most people uh, who, who are doing the office job. I'm doing it from home at the moment. Uh, I work... Uh, doing a bunch of things, a lot of uh, political direct mail I still do. I still work for uh, uh, association work, doing stuff with uh, uh, gastroenterology. Um, let's see, uh, it is uh, my job, as I, I mentioned to you before, um, although graphic arts is kind of what you could uh, label it as, is it's far more than that. That's what I started as doing uh, graphic design. And uh, as you know, in, in high school, um, or junior high even, when we spent a lot more time in school together, I was always the guy who was drawing, uh, and I had to turn that into a career somehow. But it has transformed into much more of a, it, it's bigger than that. It, one of the things I learned about uh, design was that it was much more of a, uh, a way of solving problems. People needed to be able to communicate information, and sometimes it was done through the written word, sometimes it had to be done through pictures. Uh, and it was my job to understand what it is that they were trying to say and then be able to put that in a way for other people to understand it. So I had to be able to process stuff. And that really took it to a much higher level. So uh, through the years, I wasn't just a graphic designer, but then I, I moved on to become an art director and ultimately a creative director. Um, but when I'm not doing that, um, I'm pretty much spending most of my time here at home with the, with the fam. I've got uh, two small ones. I have a, a daughter who's six and I have a son who's two. Um, I have uh, a wife. We've been married for, let's see, uh, I guess about seven years now. We've known each other for, God, 15, 16 years, dated for a while. So we've uh, been in each other's faces quite some time uh, and, and loving every minute of it. Um, and I guess in my spare time, I, I, I try to read as much as possible. I've been trying to work on my golf game. I have always been a real shitty golfer, uh, <laughs> mostly because I would golf, you know, maybe uh, – two or three times a year as a way of just hanging out with a couple of friends. But this year, I guess with COVID, I kind of took a little bit more seriously and I've been really getting into it lately. Uh, and I've been able to, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm, I'm still a shitty golfer, but I'm not as shitty of a golfer. Um, it's, it's getting a little bit better. I'm hoping to, to break the hundred mark uh, in the next uh, couple of months. Uh, I plan on definitely golfing through the winter time uh, if I can, especially if we have a winter like this past year where we got to, like no snow. Um, but uh, that is, uh, I mean, pretty much uh, me in a nutshell. Um, 
you know, I, I'm generally kind of a quiet one around the house. We don't go out and do too much. I enjoy sitting down and listening to music. Uh, it's, it's cleaning the house and uh, listening to, to the tunes and just, you know, dancing with the kids. It's a, it's a pretty simple life. That's so cool. I uh, I have so many things to ask you based upon what you already said, but uh, it's funny, you know, uh, you brought up uh, our childhood, of course, is where we met, and and I do remember you being like the guy that everybody was jealous of. We were all trying to draw really cool stuff. You know, we're talking about being 9, 10, 11 years old. And, I mean, jealous you know. is a strong word. I don't even know jealous <laughs> of it, but uh, yeah, I mean, well, because everybody would just come to me and say, hey, Matt, can you draw me this picture? And of course, I was like the little design whore. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever you want. <laughs> exactly. And um, and I, I really liked what you said about communicating, because to me, I mean, that's that's a huge part of our existence now. Right. Like mm-hmm. language is so, uh, you know, it's just it's 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 it doesn't work very well. Right. Like it can it can really confuse people and people hear what they want to hear and all those sorts of things, and especially written communication. You can read into subtext that isn't there. and intense subtext that people don't get and that sort of thing but memes pictures i mean those are what you know it's in some ways like that's the way we communicate like if i had to say what what the the communication of the 21st century is it's memes it's pictures you know it's visuals and you're you're, um, you're absolutely right i mean what's the phrase to say like a picture uh can you know tell a thousand words and it's it's absolutely true pictures can convey so incredibly much and, and language and communication itself is so incredibly nuanced uh that it's it's so great with the ability to miscommunicate uh so unless people are really sure of what it is that they want to say and have all the tools at their disposal to say it properly you're really going to run into a lot of miscommunication. Uh, and so that's why there's things like communications departments or PR firms or marketing or advertising, because they basically are able to take communication that somebody is incapable of doing themselves and saying, okay, let's communicate this for you, or at least let's put a little spin on it and try and get you something that you'll want out of it. Yeah, for sure. And then like, uh, like even like emojis, right? Like I've joked with somebody is a while ago, but like, you know, there were hieroglyphics and then there was alphabet, right? And it almost feels like we're going back. You know what I mean? Like 20, 30, 40 years from now, will people even even write with letters or will it just be, you know, symbols and emojis? You know, it's a pretty crazy thing. I, I, you know, I, 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 I'm inclined to think that that is very, very possible. Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting that to even bring up the idea because I was thinking about that a little bit about hieroglyphics and so on because that, that's come up in conversation uh, in, in the past with people. Uh, and what I found really fascinating is that the people people's tendency to overcomplicate. And hieroglyphics did just fine. I mean, they built the freaking pyramids. <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, here we go. We're like, oh, well, we need letters and we need a little bit more sound. We need consonants and vowels and we need syllables and we need prepositions and all this and all of a sudden you know the language is getting so incredibly uh difficult and out there in multiple languages okay i get it and it works to to a degree but yes it has kind of become something that's like a mile wide and like an inch deep and there's no substance to it where you might be able to say something a bit more succinct in a very simple way maybe through a picture and be able Mm -hmm. to express so much more like you mentioned with memes people are passing on and making memes and videos far more viral and going out there far more than anything that anybody has written. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Like you, uh, you probably know, I love the West wing and there's an episode with a Korean uh, North Korean pianist in it and he wants to defect. It's a great episode, but he uses this word and I can't remember the word, 
but it, it's like, well, what does that mean? And, and he says, well, it's just tremendous sorrow, but just a little bit of hope. And it's just crazy because like, there's no word for that in English. You know what I mean? Like it takes you a couple sentences to say this thing. And it's fascinating to me. Like, why do they have a word? Well, maybe you could say why they have a word like that in North Korea. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that's fascinating, you know, that, that people from different places have words that we don't even have. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, I guess this is your, your gig, right? This is what you deal with every day. Like, how do, you, how do you distill down, you know, a paragraph or something you really want to say into a picture? Oh boy, um, you know, usually when I end up uh, talking with clients and trying to figure out uh, what it is that they're trying to say, I'll say, all right, so what, what's the message here? And they will usually give me some long drawn out explanation and they go into all the reasons as to why they wanted to do what they want to do and give me all the context in the world and all the details. And to, to be quite honest with you, uh, I generally just kind of uh, zone out and just hear because to me it doesn't really mean much at the end but I, I kind of pick up a couple of words and I go okay but what do you want people to feel what do you want people mm -hmm. to, to what's the takeaway how should they walk away from this what, what's the experience they need to have when they when they want to take a look at your product or they're going to you know read a message that you have out there do you want them to feel sad do you want them to feel happy do you want them to feel excited energized inspired what do you need to get from them what what ultimately is the goal and then I look at their message and say, okay, well, this is what you're saying and this is what you want to have. Would you feel that way after reading this? Mm -hmm. Well, no, because, you know, this would, I was like, okay, well, let's, let's start paring it down. Which words in here actually are, are moving towards that goal? Uh, and it's, a, it's just, it's trying to simplify as much as possible. I think um, there's a fantastic quote by uh, Steve Jobs that I think he may have actually stolen from Leonardo da Vinci, to be honest, but it was, uh, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Um, and I truly, truly believe that, that uh, if we really want to get to the heart of anything, if we really want to understand the, the meat of something and get to it, we have to just wipe away so much of the crap uh, that gets thrown into to things. Uh, it's, it's people's baggage that they're adding to stuff. And honestly, if you want to be able to communicate something effectively, you've got to learn to take away some of that baggage. So it's trying to find out what that is uh, and having those conversations and, and it's, it's almost like becoming a therapist for a moment and talking with somebody and saying, okay, well, if we need to get to this, what does this really mean? And having those, um, those deep conversations. So um, there are some clients who are very open to that and they love it. And there are some who just cling on to every single word that they've ever written because every word is so incredibly important to them. So not every one of these is successful, uh, but uh, ultimately that's, that's generally how it's done. Yeah, along the same lines. So one of my favorite authors is Ernest Hemingway, and I quote this quote to to my team all the time. I, I work in sales and I manage sellers, so I, I constantly coach them on their communicating, right? And they're writing emails and putting together presentations and that sort of thing. And so anyway, Hemingway, write drunk and edit sober, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and, and I wish I knew more about like his editing process, right? But I just hear that and I imagine, you know, he was a raging alcoholic, so he's up late at night and just like throws up on a page and then in the morning, okay, like, just like you were saying, the same process. What are the bits that actually are important? And when you read his prose, I mean, they're the simplest sentences in the world. Most of them are, you know, five words. But it still communicates these huge concepts that you could read a page and think about for, you know, a, a couple hours. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a huge gift and it's something that's very hard to do. Um, 
how did you how did you transition to that? I mean, obviously you went to school for it, but how do you how do you take you know I love to draw and turn it into a career? Well, you know, it's funny. I didn't go to school for it. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I pretty much learned on the job. Um, oh wow. So I had uh, I well I had gone to school for a little bit to, to kind of give you a, a quick rundown. Um, so growing up uh, in my home, uh, education was not as encouraged as I think it was in a lot of the homes of the friends that I had growing up. Uh, certainly, my mother, who was uh, an incredibly smart woman, incredibly gifted, and uh, had a very high GPA when she left school and excelled uh, in school, and my father, who was very much the same way. I think in a home uh, with divorce, there were bigger issues uh, going on uh, at the time. And so uh, I think my education and my sister's education kind of fell by the wayside. But I think we were fortunate to be in a school system that was very good. Uh, I think we were fortunate to uh, be in a neighborhood and a community that um, I think was just a, a very, very strong, solid uh, good and supportive community. Uh, they were good friends. And, you know, growing up uh, with Lucas and uh, you and, and many others, uh, I think that there was something inside of me that said, well, hey, uh, you know, you might not be getting a, a lot of encouragement to get a school education at home, but you sure as hell better know something, um, you know, keep up with, keep up with everybody. So I think I, I kind of did some of the bare minimum, but what I did get is I got a fantastic education uh, just kind of in life. Um, before I moved to Maryland, before I even met any of you guys, I don't know if you even know this, um, my mother, uh, my sister and myself, uh, had traveled the country for, uh, for essentially a couple of years. My mom had been promised a job out in California and she was from California. We were all from California. We moved out here to Maryland. We bounced around in Rockville and Bethesda and Wheaton and all over the place. Uh, and she was promised a job out in California. And so she packed up everything. We put it in a U-Haul. We got in the little brown Toyota Corolla station wagon, and we just drove across country. And we didn't really stay in motels. We slept slept in the back of the car, um, and we didn't have a home. We were essentially, I guess you could say, homeless, but not in the traditional sense. We were on our way to go get a home uh, and a job. And she got out there, and it didn't quite work out. Um, and she was involved with a, a gentleman. His name was James Bond, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> And they were planning to get married. Unfortunately, uh, he passed away. Uh, he had uh, he had died of a heart attack uh, shortly after uh, Reagan was elected. Uh, I remember sitting up and watching the Reagan and Carter debates, and then I think what maybe it was like two weeks later, uh, there was the election and Reagan was elected, and then boom, Jim died. Uh, and I remember our world was just throwing chaos again. Uh, and Jim was buried out in Arlington Cemetery because he was a, a commander in the Navy. Um, so he was brought out to Arlington and my mom said, well, hey kids, what do you want? You want to be out here in California with my parents and the family that we have out here? Or would you much rather be on the East Coast where we had had some ties, but that's where Jim's going to be buried. And, uh, we opted to be near Jim. Uh, so we moved back out here to the East Coast. And my mom found a position back here in Maryland. Uh, and that's when we moved to Gaithersburg. Um, but that time traveling across country and seeing uh, you know, eating in diners all across the country and Jim's death and how my mom was overcoming some of that adversity as a single mom and trying to take care of two kids and living on the road. I mean, there's a, a tremendous amount of education I think I got in that respect. 
And that offered a lot to me. My mom, I think, was a, an amazing teacher in, in that sense as well, that she would often uh, ask, what lessons are we learning from what we're seeing? We would see somebody in a diner or at a restaurant. She'd say, what do you think their story is? And then I'm having this conversation at seven. And I'm going, well, I don't know. And she says, well, think through it. What do you see? And I said, well, I see this. She goes, do you think that's all there is? And I'm like, well, I don't know. And she goes, well, maybe this is their job. Maybe this is what they do. Maybe they just suffered heartbreak. Maybe they just got married. Who knows? So we would kind of go through this. And it was about people watching and understanding people and learning stories and being able to take in more than what was just in our immediate bubble. Um, and so by the time we moved out here, I think there was a tremendous interest in what the world had to offer besides school. And I think that's one of the reasons why I probably wasn't so big into uh, formal education at schools, because my mind was traveling and going all over the place with so many different things uh, that I, I was getting a completely different education. Uh, I'm kind of gotten a little off track, but you know, when I started doing design and drawing in school, I had that natural ability, which kind of seems to run in my family. Um, a lot of people went off to school and I didn't even think about applying to college. It hadn't even crossed my mind. Um, and so everybody's going over like, yeah, well, yeah, I've got accepted to this school and I got accepted to that school. I'm going, wait, what? We were supposed to do something? I had no idea. <laughs> uh, so I ended up working at Spinnaker's and making a couple of bucks uh, there, which was kind of nice. Uh, I'm still living at home. I met a, I met a girl uh, who was a, a customer at the time and we hit it off. And we dated for a little while, and she was about ready to graduate from uh, the University of Maryland with a communications degree. And I remember um, I was still perfectly content just dicking around, doing nothing, making a couple of bucks. And she, who as some people would put was above my pay grade at the time, I was very happy to be dating her. <laughs> she, uh, she broke up with me, and she said, uh, she said, I just don't think you're somebody I, I want to spend you know any more time with. I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, well... Matt, she says, you know, you're, you're working at a restaurant, you know, you're, you're not really doing anything with your life. Essentially you're a loser. And, and she put it in those words. I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not making it sound clearer than it is. Uh, <laughs> but that was a real wake up call. And I went, Oh my God, you're right. I'm not doing shit. So I had been taking a couple classes at Montgomery college and I decided that I was going to, you know what, I'm going to try and clean up my GPA. I'm going to try and do something. I ended up uh, transferring to UMBC. I hated the program over there, decided that I would much rather be making a couple of bucks. My mom was running into hard times with uh, finances and it just seemed to be a much better move to start making money and helping her out than it was to go into college, continue with college and continue with debt. So I ended up uh, taking a job with a, a graphics staffing agency and through there, I ended up uh, getting a position with the Gazette and working for the Washington Post. And that's where I really cut my teeth in graphics and really learned that uh, there was so much more uh, to this than I had realized. And I just fell in love with it. Uh, and there, I think, was one of the best educations because in newspapers and working with newsprint, you really have to be able to put your finger on what that story is. You really have to be able to, to, to get to the heart of what that is. We were writing headlines. I was working for the copy desk and laying out the stories and trying to find the right photo that would convey what the story was about and putting that image in there and, um, and working crazy hours and crazy deadlines and having to do stuff really, really fast. Uh, and then designing different publications and mastheads. And it, it was just, it was a fascinating world, but it wasn't everything. And so I 
moved through different places and did different things and worked for interior design and I worked for PR firms. Um, and then I ended up working in political mail. And I think uh, working there is probably where I, I found uh, my calling. Uh, because uh, although I had never been too involved in politics or never really cared that much about politics in the past, uh, but of course, being a native of this area, it's hard not to be involved in some respect. Um, I really started to fall in love with the idea of being able to convey a message to a large audience quickly and in a small area. Um, and it was rapid fire. It's like we had to just knock out pieces and we really had to do as much as we could. Um, and through that, I kind of rose to the ranks and become, became an art director. And then through what I knew, I became a creative director because I was able to offer more than just pretty pictures. It was being able to tell that story. It was being able to get to the heart of what we needed to tell. Um, and that, that, I think, was incredibly satisfying. And because of how rewarding that is, it really propelled me to want to do better with that craft uh, and really hone uh, what it is and i owe a lot of that to some of the education i got from my mother traveling across country is being able to read people and understand people and there's a there's an empathy uh, that she really fostered in me uh, and i think it's being able to tap into that and understanding people that allows me to communicate to the broad audience but yeah there was never no real formal education i spent some time in college and took a couple classes but by and large i found it to be more of a waste of my time uh, and didn't really want to do it uh, so i'm bound out yeah i think there's a uh a definite, you know, like there's such a big focus on formal education and, and what, you know, most people might call book smarts and being able to recall facts and know history and all those sorts of things. And that's important. And you can also teach yourself those things just by being a reader. Right. <laughs> and, uh, to your point, I think there's so many life skills that, um, you know, you don't get in school and, um, and, you know, having some of those skills, like being able to relate to people and, understanding their emotions and their, you know, the old uh, emotional intelligence, I think can be a brilliant way to, to educate yourself. So I think that's really cool. Um, tell me, uh, tell us a little bit more about, because uh, obviously uh, I'm somewhat of a political animal. Tell me a little bit more about the campaigns you worked on and, and, and some more about, uh, you know, art and creative director. I'm not real familiar with those roles. Like how are those different from, um, you know, the graphic art? Well, so graphic arts is just incredibly broad and basically uh, graphic arts is uh, essentially, um, uh, it's, it's being able to communicate to a mass audience uh, in, in a visual uh, medium, whether it's on print or web ads or websites or uh, flyers or what have you. So, I mean, that would basically would be everything there. So that is kind of at the core how I kind of got started. That was the foundation for how I, I built up. Art direction has always been much more being able to um, make sure, uh, you're, usually as an art director, you're working with a, a team of designers as a lead to be able to direct them in making sure that the, the work is much more consistently on brand or that you're meeting the needs of, of the client um, and kind of orchestrating some of that. And then creative direction became much more of a, Again, you're working with a team, you've kind of risen through the ranks a little bit more, but now it's not so much doing what the art director was doing, but it's more concepting. It's thinking uh, much more from a 30,000 foot view. Uh, like defining. Thinking how the could this be more poignant? Uh, how can this be more effective? How do we really get to the heart of this message? Um, 
you know, and being able to understand that. And that's where I think I've always thrived and, and done better. So it was a natural fit to, to move into a position like that. Uh, so that's, that's what I've been able to do. Uh, with political direct mail, it's the line between all three of those positions seems to be a little fuzzy because I can design a piece and I can do creative direction all in the same day because um, they're it's it's a bit of a unique beast. Uh, a lot of people think that oh well, if you've worked for one of these top design firms in New York and you're a stellar designer and you graduated from RISD or SCAD or one of these wonderful art schools that are just so damn fantastic. Uh, that of course you would be able to do political direct mail. Uh, I've seen people with the most amazing uh, graphic art skills and ability uh, step in to try and do political direct mail and they fall flat on their face. Uh, it's, it's, it's boxing versus a street fight. It's very different. Um, there is, um, it's, it's down and dirty. I mean, it is, it is, you are in the thick of it there is an emotional connection to the pieces. Generally, the people who do political direct mail have a party affiliation. Um, usually designers who are Republicans generally tend to work on Republican campaigns and designers who are Democrats tend to work on Democratic campaigns and certainly have some crossover with, you know, um, those who tend to be a bit more independent or don't really give a shit one way or the other or, um, you know, libertarian or what have you. I mean, they kind of, you know, scan the spectrum. Um, but you generally can get invested. And I think probably the first time I ever really got truly invested, uh, in any of the races was in 2007, uh, when I had just started doing this, I actually got brought on to do design work for the Obama campaign. Mm -hmm. And it was a small campaign thought, Oh, Hey, you know, here's this, uh, you know, Senator out of, you know, Illinois, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, he had a bit of a name. He'd been at the, uh, the DNC and had given a speech uh, prior to that. So he made a bit of a name and people were familiar with him, but you know, he had a name like Barack Hussein Obama. And so people were going, you know, this guy could be president. What the hell? But you know, work would be out there. And so I started doing work and what I found really fascinating, what, what really interested me is that in all the campaigns that I've been working on at that point, when we would do negative pieces um, and negative pieces, <clears throat> as you might be familiar with, are just kind of hits. They usually just kind of say something uh, very awful about uh, the opposition, the person they're running against. Like, oh, they did this, and they took money from here, and they did that thing, and it's, and it's really awful, and you should hate them for it. Um, <laughs> and so we would have to do a lot of negative pieces, and generally we would just we would hit hard. Just hit hard, just hit hard, just hit hard. We might pull a couple of punches here and there because we might think, oh, maybe that's a little too hard. Um, but generally we would hit as hard as we could, and. Um, the idea being, uh, my thought was, I had had the question, why are we doing so many negatives? I hate seeing negative pieces. They piss me off. And the idea is, well, you might not like them, but they work. And I always hate the idea that the negative pieces work, but in fact, they do. Uh, they do kind of achieve a result. So much more of those seem to go out than you would say positive pieces, which are really uplifting about the candidate. Um, but when um, we started working on Obama's campaign and when um, he had won the primary and became the nominee for the Democratic Party and he was going against uh, McCain, um, what I found really, really, not, oh, sorry, I'm trying to remember my races. Was it McCain? The first time it was McCain, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. And it was going against uh, McCain. 
what I found really fascinating was we would do a couple of negative pieces and they would go to the Obama uh, campaign for review. And they would come back and go, no, 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 no. Uh, McCain is a national treasure. He's, he's a hero. He's a wonderful man. Don't paint him in this. Don't give all these treatments to make him look so negative. Don't do all this stuff. Just give the facts about him. And you, we were told, do not put kids in pictures. Don't hit on people's kids. Don't hit on any of this. You can hit on McCain. That, that's it. You don't hit on his wife. <laughs> I can't hit on his wife. You don't hit on his wife. You don't do a hit where you include anything about his wife or children or so on and so forth. It is about McCain, and you only put the facts in there. Um, and that was incredibly refreshing. And I yeah. think that was a moment where I felt that I was – I was impressed by the candidate because this is the first time I had ever seen that. Uh, and then of course McCain, where I guess he was doing a town hall and it was very interesting because um, I, I'm trying to, if you can recall, there's uh, some footage, I guess, where he is speaking with somebody and they just got real derogatory about Obama and calling him a Muslim and so on and so forth. And McCain defended him in a town hall where he's supposed to be talking about how he's a better president or would be a better president than Obama. And I thought, wow, these two guys, I was like, man, I, I feel happy with either one of them, to be honest with you, uh, because I was just interested in the person and just kind of who they were at their core. And to me, everything started from the top. And if we could put all, all these negative pieces, it seemed to me that there was no, uh, I guess, I, I was looking for somebody who said, I can win because of my beliefs. I can win because of what I bring to the table. I can win because I'm that good. I'm not going to win because I got to shove the other person down. And to me, I, I really, really appreciated that. I don't see a lot of that in today's politics and with the uh, stuff that I work on now, but uh, I did see that in the Obama campaign. And watching that, I became very emotionally invested in whether or not he would win. And the night that he won, uh, I got to tell you, man, it was, an, it was an emotional evening for me uh, and for many other people. Um, and for some, uh, it was emotional on the, the other end of the spectrum, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I really got invested in that. And I think at that moment, I decided that this is definitely something I wanted to do more of. Um, so, I mean, that political direct mail is, uh, it's, it's not what a lot of people think. You really have to invest yourself in the work. You really have to be invested in the body of work. You really have to think about the candidate you really have to be invested in what that message is going to be uh you know when you're doing a coca-cola ad maybe you like coca-cola maybe you had a coca-cola you know but you're not living breathing coca-cola you know you're kind of like all right you know have a nice day have a coke and shut the fuck up i don't know have a coke and smile and shut the fuck up um <laughs> so I, it, it is it's, it's a little different it's it's um it's kind of a different beast and i i'm uh, it's, it's hard to explain and I'm not even sure that a lot of designers even get it. So uh, yeah. how much I can convey it to you at this moment is, uh, is difficult. Like I said, I work with a lot of pictures. I might be able to do it with a photograph. I don't know if I can do it through. <laughs> Maybe that's the next thing, right? We mm -hmm. should, we should, it's not a podcast. It's a, I don't know what you would call it, a drawcast, you know, like <laughs> it's just people making pictures back and forth to, to communicate with each other. If I can cool. find a way to hire designers <laughs> and put out like a classified ad to hire for this and use just a picture, that would be amazing. That'd be pretty cool. I want to go back to what you were talking about because I really did appreciate what you said about the campaign and how they didn't want to go negative and really had some good rules around um, 
what was inbounds and what was out of bounds, right? I mean, and I know, you know, in um, we were texting back and forth before uh, this podcast, and and I I really liked that you were like, look, I don't want to argue about stuff. I'd like to talk about things that you know can, uh, can are important and things we might be able to to fix or work on or just you know look for solutions. And I think that's a big one, right? Like. You know, part of me is like this whole idea of how far our, you know, our our politics have divided, right? And the left and right are so divisive. And um, but you know, part of me is like, man, eh, it's not that bad. Like we fought a civil war, and there was a dude that was caned in the Senate, you know. <laughs> and uh, you know, there's there's been times when when folks would shoot at the president and that sort of thing. But um, but it does feel different in the sense that we never come back, right? Like we never, uh, you know, there's very little uh, the gentleman from uh, Maryland, right? And uh, sort of civility and an understanding that that the other person is rational and has a point of view that's that's important, even if I don't agree with it, mm-hmm. and. Um, and that they have something that, uh, you know, regardless of what I think of their position, they have something important to say and it should be heard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like there's so many issues in there. I think, you know, for me, one of the biggest is we we just watch different things and we end up with different facts. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, sort of a right wing guy, although I'm very liberal in social policy. But but generally speaking, I vote for either a Republican or a libertarian. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the the media that I'm drawn to and the things that I watch are very different than my friends that are progressive. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when we try to talk about these things or you know, the worst is, uh, you know, on a Twitter or Facebook or that sort of thing, like we just, you know, like it's it's like it's back to languages, right? Like I'm speaking French and they're speaking Portuguese, you know, and it, it it's so difficult. Mm-hmm. What What do you think about all that? Like what's. What's going on there? How can we how can we start to solve that problem? Yeah, well, you know, usually the things that unify are having some sort of commonality, right? And with so many things uh, keeping us separate, uh, it's hard to find what that's going to be. You know, in 2016, uh, after Trump was elected, there had already been a lot of division in our country leading up to the election. Um, and I remember uh, turning to uh, Marissa and saying, you know, this feels a lot like a Chinese finger puzzle. The more we try and pull to our side and say that we're right, the more we're just going to be locked into this. If we can find a way to come and bring our fingers a little closer together, we'll, we'll get out of this puzzle. Just in order to do that, though, both sides have to be willing to concede something. They have to be willing to meet in the middle. They also have to have a shared perception of a problem. Um, And that's where I really kind of feel like we would need to begin is what, in fact, is the problem? Now, one side might say, well, the problem is, is that, you know, I feel that my way of life is, uh, you know, uh, it's threatened or I feel that uh, I'm, you know, uh, you know, being uh, portrayed as somebody that I'm not and I hate this or I feel like things are unfair, but I've got to do so much for other people. And people are so consumed with their own problem. Uh, that it's very difficult for them to say, hey, let me stop and think about how this is for somebody on the other side. That's part of the concession is to say, I'm going to stop being too concerned with my problem and start trying to look at it from the side of somebody else. So as an example, one of the things I did this uh, about a week or two ago, 
Um, I've watched all kinds of stuff. I've watched, and I generally tend to be much more the left-leaning uh, liberal, although I refuse to become a Democrat. I was raised Republican. Um, and to me, Democrats were basically the same thing as the Cowboys as a skins fan. I was like, I'll never become a Democrat. <laughs> um, and then um, I kind of adjusted my way of thinking a little bit and realized, well, I'm definitely not a Republican, but I'm not going to be a Democrat either. Um, and I was like, so I'm just going to go independent because I, I started to think that even party affiliations became, um, those were devices in and of themselves. How can I go ahead and say that I'm I'm always going to be in line with this way of thinking when it's incredibly diverse and nuanced and it's changing and where I live is going to be so different from where somebody else is living to say that we're going to have the same politics. The parties in my mind just became um, ridiculous at that point. So I was like, well, I'm just not going to have any party affiliation. So now I'm not allowed to partake in, in primaries, uh, but um, which is another issue I have, but we'll, we'll move on. Uh, the idea no, I mean, that it, real quick. Sorry, I'm I'm sorry. Real quick, I agree with you 100. percent I mean, I think one of the biggest problems that we have in this country is the two party system and the total control they have over every aspect of of public life. From from like you said, the primaries, the elections, who's in the debates. Um, it's it's a huge problem, and it doesn't serve anybody. But but the quite honestly, the the small group of people in power in in Washington D.C. Well, the, the I mean, so let's just take a, we'll take a look at parties. To me, one of the issues is definitely parties, because to be Republican or Democrat, I mean, to, to have a, a, an icon, a, a donkey and a, a, an elephant, I mean, why don't you go ahead and put those on the side of your football helmets and just go play? It's like, what the fuck? Why are we different teams? This is, this is, this is bullshit. And there's no free agency, uh, it seems as if. And so it's, uh, I don't like the idea, because at the end of the day, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatever, you're an American first. Mm-hmm. And everything should be about trying to maintain America and making sure that America, if, if you love this country and you want to be a part of this country, then you should constantly be working to make this country better. You shouldn't be working to make your party better or better for your party or those in your party. It's about making the country better. And sometimes that means thinking about what's going on with the other side. And if you're lucky, they're doing the exact same thing about you and trying to watch out for you. You know, uh, it's... I think that any relationship is going to work if you have two people, whether they friends, you know, spouse, siblings, coworkers, if you're watching each other's back, you both will prosper. If you're only watching your own, you're both are going to tank. Um, so whether it's a two party system, three party system, 10 party system, a billion party system, to me, that, that is certainly important. But really, we've just got to start looking at everybody and saying, hey, that's a little subgroup. But at the end of the day, we're all part of the same team. Uh, and I'm going to watch your back because I know that you're going to be watching mine. Um, and we have to be able to look at it from that, that vantage point. We're not doing that. I have MSNBC telling me one thing. You've got Fox telling you another. Somebody else has you know, CNN telling them maybe something else. And yeah, the media is out there and we're getting different stories because at the end of the day, the media is there to make a buck. Okay. And whatever bleeds leaves, they're telling you what they need to tell you in order for you to continue watching. Yeah. The, the news is there. Yeah. We got to give you some news. Just like any good lie has an ounce of truth in it. So we're going to mm-hmm. give you some information. Some stuff is truthful. Of course, we're going to give you some of that. So yeah. So just enough to make them legit. But at the end of the day, yes, they're, they're telling you something from their side and how they view it. And I watched Fox uh, for about a week 
I, it's the only thing I was going to allow on my TV. And I was like, I'm just watching Fox because I just want to see what's going on the other side. I want to, I want to try and understand this a little bit more. So I just started watching Fox. Um, and in watching it, boy, wow, complete other side, other end of the spectrum. Uh, there was stuff I, I knew that had been going on in MSNBC. Fox wasn't even covering. I'm like, but what about this? But what about that? And I realized, I'm going, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. You know, MSNBC, like, they're saying this because that's their viewership. That's their audience. The people who are watching that are already hook, line, and sinker, and they want to hear more about that. And at the end of the day, they know that their audience, just like Fox viewers, want to throw their fist in the air and go, yeah, you know, and it's, that's who they're speaking to. And that's what's causing so much of the division. Um, I, if, if I may real quick, I, I agree with you 100%. And, and quite honestly, uh, it goes back to some of what you were talking about when you develop the the uh, the right uh, art for a message, right? It is all emotional. And so to your point, I mean, Fox is selling outrage mm-hmm. just like MSNBC is selling outrage because outrage gets clicks and sells soap. And the game is no longer, we'd like to inform you, we'd like to give you facts about what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it is all, we are gonna hit your, you know, that part of your brain that goes erogenous when you feel upset about something. And we're gonna keep feeding that little part of it so you keep watching. And it's, it, it's, it's really unhealthy. You know? unhealthy. And this is this is kind of how our culture has evolved over the last, you know, 15, 20 years that we are becoming disconnected from people. The humanity that we, we once had for each other uh, seems to be slipping away, whether it be because we are dependent on social media, whether it is mm. because we watch a lot of television, uh, whether it's, I don't know, any number of reasons that, you know, the media that we watch. There's a lot that seems to keep us divided and giving us individual messages that seem to be tailor-made to what we want to hear as opposed to what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think, is is incredibly problematic, and, and I'm, I'm not a fan. There's a lot of news that I think I get from MSNBC that I think is very factual, and I will check up on it, and I will go and take a look, and I go, yeah, okay, that's true. And then there's stuff I'm going, yeah, but that's your spin on it. You're making it sound worse than it actually is. And then there are times I'll watch Fox and say, oh, you're making it sound nicer than it. Um, and so there is uh, definitely trying to find that. How do we do that? How do we find some sort of way so that people are working off of the same general information? Have we gone too far already to say that there is no way to get back to that middle area? Uh, do we need to just say, hey, everybody take a fucking time out from your, from your phones and your TVs and, and download and unplug for a second and take a little red pill and slide yourself out of the fucking matrix? <laughs> you know, whatever people may have to do, but people need to start getting in line with the idea that there is a stream of information that's being given to them that's keeping them in the cage that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that what they're getting isn't valuable in some way, not saying that the information they're getting isn't pertinent or relevant or even accurate in some respects, but it does come with, um, it is tainted and it, it's got a little bit of poison. Uh, and that's the part that I think people need to be able to expel and be able to say, hey, how can I extract what's relevant, what's necessary, what's important, what's true, what's real, and what is being fed to me to keep me in line? Yeah, I think that's really huge. You know, and as I'm thinking about it, like, I agree with you 100%. Like, I love that you tried to watch Fox News for a week. I'm not sure I could do that. Well, you know, 
the other the other way. I tr- I try to tune in to MSNBC, CNN, uh, even the you know the national news that like NBC is kind of biased, and but I try to rock watch them regularly. Just so, to your point, I try to you know understand what the other side is thinking and, and what what news stories they're focusing on. But I will be honest with you, the thing that I found, uh, and I think that would be a wonderful thing. And I don't know how to do this, right? Like <laughs> there ought to be a rule, but you can't make people watch stuff, right? <laughs> right. But um, is debates like it, you know, like there's a Canadian one, the Monk debates, and there, you know, it's just a classic debate. There's a topic, and they bring in people from two sides, and you just watch them debate. And yeah. I think um, that's what's really missing. Like when I do talk to people that, you know, I would probably consider far gone, right? Like just I'm in my lane, and I don't hear anything else. I won't even read a source that isn't a source that I, you know, know and have been reading for years. Like that's the biggest problem is they never hear the other side of the argument. And so it's like, you know, when you, when you start to talk to them and and say something, they, you know, it's like, they just shut it, it becomes shut down, you know, like, no, that's, uh, you know, I'm not even gonna consider that, you know, sort of thing. So I, I really do think like one of the problems we have, and it's that old rule, right? Like you shouldn't talk about politics and religion in mixed company. I think that's a way that people get controlled as well. Like we should be talking about these things. They're the most important things there are. And um, you know, you see some of that on Facebook too. Like I'm certain I have friends on Facebook that you know unfriend or unfollow because of the shit I put on there. And I don't blame them for that, I get it. But at the same time, like we should be openly discussing issues constantly. We should be hearing opinions from all perspectives. And that's one of the things that really, really bothers me. And I'll say it, especially about uh, some elements in the progressive movement is, you know, some topics topics are verboten. You know, I saw a thing on Twitter yesterday and and, a really respected guy, I forget his name, he's a professor, he's written a book on on racism. And he basically said, you're either racist or anti-racist. Not a racist is racist, meaning that if if um, if you're not a hundred percent on my team, and I'll define what anti-racism anti-racism is, you know, you're racist. And um, look, I I don't I'm not saying that the things he's trying to accomplish aren't right. They probably are. Um, I may disagree with some of his methods, but you know that sort of black white. You're this or that. You're with me or you're evil. You know, that's the kind of thing that really bothers me. And it seems like it's, um, you know, it's sort of becoming the norm rather than the exception. Yeah, well, and that's, I mean, we keep circling around the idea, but I mean, it, it, it gets back to being able to find that common ground, being able to give up ground. Um, I, I need to be able to concede some of the things that I adamantly believe and say, I have to at least be open to the idea that maybe they're false or they're not everything I thought they were. I have to be open to that notion, just as somebody else has to be open to that notion. That is a huge fucking step for anybody to take because if you're wrong, if you're wrong, it could mean that all of a sudden you've just completely weakened your argument and you don't really get to say anything more. And and people are gonna say, "Uh aha, see, I told you, you see, you believe like I do. Whoa, 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 no, no, I'm trying to meet you halfway here and see what we can do. There's there's uh, it's it's very difficult and comes it's at a high risk um but we have to do it uh we we need to be able to do that i think that uh, us as uh, 
as a people, as a country, um, we there's a lot at stake. And if we would like to be able to prosper and do well, we're going to have to do something soon. Because if we don't, I think the the uh, uh, the results are going to be disastrous. Yeah. So uh, what do we do, Matt? What what's your what's oh yeah? Your I probably the answer to that. I wouldn't be working with a graphic <laughs> designer, Justin. Um, <laughs> you know, I can I can talk about some of the methods or tools or things that we should consider. Which is a lot of it is happens to be talking or taking an interest in how somebody got to the other side. So as an example, how about you and I run through an exercise here a little bit? Let's talk about something that we know is completely divisive uh, that you are adamantly believe. Uh, you know, is pretty much the case and, and that maybe I think uh, the opposite on, let's see if we can try and see uh, each other's uh, point of view on this one. And maybe through an example, we can give people an idea of how they might be able to do this with other people that they know when they sit down with friends and family, uh, you know, people that they, they can talk to. So what, what, what's something that you think uh, maybe I feel adamantly again, uh, one way and you probably feel completely opposite. Let's go through a couple things and I'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's a great segue. I had uh, we had talked about looking at some of Gallup ran a poll. I think it's December and January nineteen into twenty. What are the fifteen biggest issues for Americans? And and you know, just is this an issue or not? Right? There's a bunch of them on there, um, and it's interesting. You know, it's been a while since you and I talked. So I'm not even quite sure which ones we disagree on. Uh, but the first one is national security. Um, yeah. Do you, do you perceive problems with uh, our current state of national security? And if so, what are they? Um, I believe, uh, let's see. I'll my, tell you where my mind goes immediately. Maybe it'll make it easier. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking of the NSA and Edward Snowden. Uh, is Edward Snowden, Snowden a traitor? Is Julian Assange a traitor? Or should those guys, uh, you know, are they in some ways heroic? So it comes down to motivation. Uh, Assange, to me, um, I don't know. Well, he he, he wasn't a, a American citizen. Uh, no, so he's I, only been in America for a couple hours country. in his life. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, he hasn't really done anything. I mean, but I, Assange uh, with Wikipedia and some a lot of this was I I feel that uh, for personal gain or or a, a way to kind of tip the scales. Uh, I, I think. Uh, so Assange, I have not read up too much on Assange and to know uh, more about what his motivations were or what led him to, to do some of the things that he's done or why he's done some of the stuff that he's done. Um, so I can't speak too intelligently about Assange. As far as Snowden, I don't fully believe that his motives were simply to say, oh, I think what the NSA is doing is wrong and the American public ought to know. Uh, that I, I think that is way too simplified. I think that is, um, I think that is, is false information. That's what my gut tells me. That's not what news is telling me. Um, I don't believe that he's a hero. I don't 100% believe that he's a traitor either. And I think that black and white thinking is probably where we start running into a little bit of trouble. Um, I believe uh, that taking, um, you know, um, what is it? Uh, you know, he's gone. Was it now? He's in in uh, Russia or Soviet or Russia? I guess he's in Russia or wherever he is now. I don't know where he went. Um, yeah, he's in I, Russia. That yep. I think it is like, dude, seriously, uh, way to make this look shady as shit. Um, <laughs> so I I don't know that we're going to be real far apart on that. I don't know what your thoughts are. I don't necessarily go traitor or or hero. I have a problem with what he did. 
I understand generally some of the reasons as to why he's done it or some of the reasons that were explained to people. I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, great. Maybe people ought to know. But I feel that there are ways that he could have done that far beyond the way he actually did. Uh, I don't believe that his his first tactic was the best or or should have been his, his plan A. Uh, so it believe, leads me to believe that they were ulterior modes. Yeah, um, I'm kind of, I am kind of black and white on this one, to be honest with you. I think uh, we should free Snowden. I think uh, the NSA was violating the Constitution mm -hmm. and uh, illegally searching and seizing, uh, you know, data information about Americans for no good reason. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that is a very dangerous thing that in the wrong hands uh, could be used to great... Uh, to, with many problems, you know, create many, 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 many problems, including a state that, uh, you know, you, you sort of see in China, mm -hmm. quite honestly, and their human rights. And yeah, I, I understand that, you know, where you're coming from. Like, I, I don't know enough about what exactly he did and which laws that broke and, and, you know, the implications of all that. But um, exposing a, a program like that to me is, is something that we ought to put him make him a whistleblower and let him come home like all you did was weaken a nation today kathy uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, that's I, all you did <laughs> well i mean and I, I completely get that i i my thought is is that at no point is any of this worth people yelling and screaming at each other i figure like you and i are talking okay so you believe that at the end walk away from it yeah, yeah. It, it is do i agree with what the nsa was doing no I don't agree with that. I, I I don't want that to be happening. I don't agree with it. I don't want it to, to happen. Uh, do I believe that Snowden is a hero for having revealed it? Mm, no, because my thought is, is well, there's got to be more to it. And we're only getting a partial view of what's going on. I don't know mm -hmm. that I'm going to get all of the information. So I'm going to go to the grocery store and buy about a half pound of ham and go back to my life. <laughs> and that, that's really my only choice or I can be completely outraged for the rest of my life on a topic I'll never fully understand now I can say hey here's my personal opinions on this and I want this to change and I can talk to my congressman and I can start talking to the powers that be and start putting you know whatever you know run for office myself and say hey I want to make a change in this and do that and anything shy of that like I said go to the fucking store buy yourself a half, half pound of ham make yourself a sandwich sit down and watch TV and shut the fuck up <laughs> so it's not worth the outrage I think that people have in the division in this country but that's only one needle there are yeah. thousands of needles that are happening and it's that death by a thousand needles that this country is suffering from right now that's one small pinpoint um, where it has become immense division um, I mean Benghazi here's another one Hillary Clinton in general is like is she good is she bad is she right is she wrong is she you know, there's all kinds of things, you know, and people, they'll, they'll pick apart the parts that make her seem like a villain. And other people can pick parts apart that make her seem like, you know, she's, a, you know, a, a quality leader and, in in, you know, a, a fantastic strong woman who's leading the path and breaking glass ceilings. So, I mean, there's all kinds of different sides to it. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. I think a lot of it is how we take the information that we receive. There's a certain maturity that comes with it um, also. I don't think you're going to villainize me if I think something a certain way. You might not agree with me, and maybe you know when this whole podcast is over, you're going to go to you know friends and family and go, "Man, I just talked to this dipshit, Matt. Can you but can you guess <laughs> that he believe this crap over here? I don't know, uh, but hey, at least you say it behind my back. So um, 
you know, maybe that's a big part of it. It's just in, in, in how we're able to receive somebody else having a different opinion. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not even so much that we have to find some common ground on what the information is, as much as at the end of the day, I can say, okay, you believe that. Cool. Want to go grab a beer? I mean, For sure. there, there are certain things that I can say, you know, uh, maybe uh, you're a fantastic golfer and I'm a shitty golfer. At the end of the day, I'm like, all right, cool. You're, you're a great golfer. You're a better golfer than I am. I got to walk away from it. I can't go screaming at you because you're a better golfer than I am. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So if For- you believe that Snowden is a hero, okay, great. You believe he's a hero. Fantastic. Want to go catch a movie? That's kind of how I feel some of this needs to end. And we're not doing that because we have instigators like the media. Do you remember uh, in junior high? Because you went to Mike and Junior High. Yeah. Do you remember... Uh, and if anybody who went to Microbills Junior High listens to this, I hope they remember this. There was a tunnel. Remember, we had those little tunnels, and there was a tunnel mm-hmm. near MV Junior High uh, where people would fight. And it was right yeah. near the pool, like near Mills Choice Pool. And so if there was a fight, you were like, oh, this person, this person, they're going to fight after school. Everybody, mass ex- exodus. You would just see crowds of people just running over to this tunnel, going through, crossing over Stidwick Road and trying to get over to where this fight was going to be. And I was always like one of the last people there. The fight had been going on for a while. Uh, and we'd get there and watch and see what was going on. Uh, but there was always a crowd of people standing around the two people fighting. And they were instigating it. And because they wanted to see the fight. And, you know, after somebody got their ass whooped or, you know, something was over, you would have that nice person who would come over and help them up and say, all right, come on, man, I'll walk home with you. Come on, let's go. You got your ass kicked. Okay, good fight. Uh, But the crowd of people were standing there like, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, did you see that? Oh, hell. That's what I feel like the media is at the moment. And they are, they're kind of getting people into that. And being able to stop for a moment and say, hey, I'm not going to be your pawn. Hey, let's, what do you got to beef about? Well, I didn't like that you flucked that rubber band at me in, in class. Well, hey, man, I'm really sorry about that. I was actually trying to aim towards the window. I'm sorry that it hit you. I apologize. Boom, shake hands, walk away. Do that. Find a way to do that. That's, that's kind of what I feel like we, we need to be able to have more of. Turn off the TV. Turn off the news. Just, yeah. just go back to your life. Like I said, go buy the ham. Go play with your kids. Go live your life and enjoy your life a little bit. I'm not saying that you got to go ahead and bury your head in the sand and not be aware of what's going on around you. But if you're going to go ahead and take your head out of the sand and you want to start watching things, have a critical eye. Don't take it too seriously. Don't allow it to just poison you. Go talk with your friends and family. Shake hands at the end of the day. Try to be a bigger person. These are some of the things that I think are, are best. And I think people will live longer. Find ways to meditate, smoke weed, whatever whatever you got to do to make yourself happier and to just chill do it yeah is there is there a topic or an issue that you do get emotional about and you find you have to do take a step back often oh um i would say as to whether or not trump should be president again yeah i am so adamantly opposed to him being voted into office again for the next four years uh, it's really hard for me to identify with anybody who would want him to be president for the next four years. That's where I really kind of have the toughest time. Um, and I, I really have been trying to find middle ground on that because if he is reelected, my options are to either uh, suffer through what I think is going to be completely unbearable or move to Canada. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, neither one of those is, is really interesting to me. I don't want to move to Canada. I'm sure it's a fine place. 
but man, it's just, I've really kind of set up roots here. Uh, and I really don't want to deal with him being president again. I don't feel that he has done anywhere near the job that he should have done, but my bar, my, what I wanted from a president is different than what other people wanted from a president. Other people are thrilled. They got three justices out of this. Fantastic. And I, I got to tell you, I'd be thrilled if we got three justices out of it. That'd be, that'd be awesome. But to me, it has come at, it at an immense price. And at the end of the day, you have to ask, is what you paid worth what you got? Was the juice worth the squeeze? Um, to me, no. But I didn't. I wasn't benefiting from the things that he was doing. So to me, I wasn't getting jack shit out of this. So of course, I don't want him to be in there. Other people are getting something that they want. And so to them, I would ask, explain to me how that is beneficial and how I can also benefit from that. Help me find where the ground is that I can be happy with this pick. And so there, there's, there's where I'm looking for the common ground. I'm, I'm struggling and I'm finding it really difficult. Mm -hmm. What is it about Trump that uh, bothers you the most? Uh, that I think he's a self-serving prick and he at no point ever had any interest in trying to make America a better place unless it somehow benefited as well. Mm -hmm. Is there something that he's done that you like? Yes, I thought that uh, his response to the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg was probably the most human moment I saw from him, although it may have been staged and he was prepped and prepared to give whatever he did. I thought it was a fantastic job to at least feign some sort of sympathy about her passing. I thought he did a good job with that. Um, I got to tell you, actually, I'm not that bothered by his picks for the Supreme Court, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Kavanaugh, but most of my issues with Kavanaugh tend to be based off of speculation or shit that, you know, is through the grapevine. So I, I hold that with, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Uh, I haven't really been too upset with his picks. To me, justices, you know, judges, people of the law are bound by what the law says. They're bound by the Constitution. Uh, and, and in that, I expect them to have an integrity that doesn't make them uh, subservient to the shit that goes on in the rest of politics and with Congress. Right mm -hmm. now, I think that there are a lot of Republicans who have become cuckolds to uh, Trump and do whatever Trump does or whatever he wants at whatever price because at the end of the day, they feel like their career, their, their lives are over. They won't be voted back into office if, if they contradict him. And if they do, you have people like Jeff Flake or Bob Corker, people who are like, well, fuck it, I'm just going to get out of here. I'm gonna. I, I don't want to be a part of this. You know, I, I'm not gonna kowtow to this motherfucker. I'm. I'm gonna go do my own thing. And if it means I, I lose my job, then I lose my job. But I can't do this shit. Uh, or unless you happen to be somebody who's uh, in an area where they seem to be immune, like Mitt Romney, where Utah's going. Don't worry, Mitt. We got you because faith is still at the top of our list. Well, good. Then he seems to be safe. He can contradict the president. You know, and still walk away from it. You know, politically intact. But the Supreme Court. They, these are lifetime positions. They don't have to follow suit with what the president says. They are not held to the same standards. They, are, they, they do not have that same issue. So to me, go ahead and, and, and put somebody in the office. If they have right-leaning views, then hey, that's just the luck of the draw. We had a right-leaning president at the time. And at some point we'll go left and we'll, over time, I think it'll all balance itself out. So I'm not getting my, my underwear in a, in a not over you know, who we have as justices, as long as I think that they keep the, the law uh, as, uh, you know, 
their top concern and making sure that they're following the law and not following the the whims of a, of a president or a political party, I'm good. And I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I, I believe in the integrity of the person and, and their position to do their job and to do their job well. Um, so I don't have a problem with his picks. Finding things that I think he's done that are, like I applaud and go, hey, great job, I really like it. It's hard for me to find something because uh, there's nothing that I've, I've seen that I, I felt has been a, a true benefit uh, as a result of him specifically. Uh, has the economy done better? Um, for me, I have progressively done well over the years because of my hard work, not because anybody was helping the economy. That's my, what I've achieved is because of me. Um, you know, the stock market's doing well. The stock market was already going up. It had been going up for, for a while. I mean, maybe he was riding the wave. Maybe he did something. It did start to, to go up after he was elected. Uh, but, you know, how many people are a part of the stock market? How many people are really taking advantage of that and where they can say that that's really helping their income? Uh, you know, jobless, um, you know, people who were uh, out of jobs, you know, the, the unemployment rate uh, was at an all-time low. It had already been going down. So was he, again, was he riding a wave? You know, it's it's hard to say what he's really responsible for because that line of when he's inaugurated, say that anything happens at that point, he's responsible for is bullshit. Um, but at some point, you know, you're three and a half years in, hey, if you're able to keep the wave going, great, then you're obviously doing something right, uh, even if it is just being you and doing nothing. Um, you know, but anything that I feel that he's specifically done to say, I've made this deliberate move to make things better for, for people. No, I, it's, I'm, I'm hard pressed to find something. So how do you feel about Biden? Biden is not perfect, but Trump is fundamentally imperfect. And so I, I guess between the two, Biden would not have been my pick. He's not who I would have wanted to be president. I have a lot of concerns with Biden becoming president. Um, they pale in comparison to the ones that I have uh, for Trump, but in the interest of trying to be uh, an equal opportunity uh, person to kind of explain some of my issues, I have a real problem with his age and his ability to be able to express his ideas and, and carry out his plans and do something uh, effectively. I, I, I have trouble um, with the idea that he can be as effective as we need a president to be. Um, I don't have any specific reason necessarily to say that he won't be, but I just have concerns about it. Uh, Biden is somebody who is kind of shot off at the mouth a little bit and said some things that, well, boy, that may not have been the best thing to say, but I believe for him, they're more of a, a, a slip and uh, missing the, the correct way to phrase something uh, or uh, as a, a formal way of thinking that he is then open to changing and revising if he's enlightened, as opposed to somebody who uh, that's just the way they are, and that's the way they're always going to be. To me, there, there's hope for Biden, but he's 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 so old at this point. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, you might die in office. I mean, yeah, sure, you can probably get down and do you know ten push-ups. Wonderful. Uh, what is it? Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was doing ten push-ups. Look what just happened to her. So, um, you know, I, I I have concerns. I want young blood in there. I want somebody who's going to be. Uh, capable of thinking on their feet and moving and fast and has a young way of thinking and wants to advance this country and do great things for our country, not somebody who is, uh, you know, uh, there to kind of keep the light on in the White House. Yeah, for sure. And um, it's interesting, you know, um, 
the biggest appeal to me for Trump, and look, I'll, I will stipulate he's an asshole and uh, he doesn't, uh, you know, engender any sort of, uh, um, you know, patriotism or, you know, hey, let's pull together and all those sorts of things. Like, he has a lot of flaws, obviously. I mean, he's, he's right. a... He's a uh, windbag full of flaws. I I did vote for him though, and I voted for him for t- one big reason, to be honest with you, which is to throw a shoe in the machine that is our uh, over, uh, you know, our our huge in you know military industrial complex and government mm-hmm. that is way bigger than it was ever tended to be has much more power than was ever intended for it to have and quite honestly spends a whole bunch of taxpayer money enriching their cronies and and each other. I mean there's a reason why if you look at the 10 richest counties in America, seven of them ring Washington DC. Mm-hmm. People are enriching themselves in ways that, you know, if if you look into it, uh you know, and and like it's not an indictment of people in specifically, right? It's just sort of the system has taken on its own, yeah. its own life. I mean, it's something that Washington <laughs> warned of. It's something that Eisenhower warned of, mm-hmm. and uh, it just gets bigger and bigger every year. You know, you're right. We're you're gonna, absolutely right. Um, I, I we're gonna I spend. We're gonna spend like I'm sorry, real quick. We're gonna spend something like seven trillion dollars this year. And about three trillion of it is uh, is on COVID, which that's a whole nother topic to get started. But and and it, the deficit is they don't know yet, but it, probably three or four trillion dollars as well. Like a quarter of the entire economy is deficit spending by the federal government. Mm-hmm. And you know, <laughs> what do we have to show for it? You know what I mean? Like, and you can look at this at any issue. The one I always think about, just because I know the numbers, is education. In right. 1960, we spent in 2018 dollars four thousand dollars per pupil uh, on education. Today, in that same dollar, you know, the same inflation-adjusted dollars, it's sixteen thousand. So four x. And our test scores are worse. We we have the worst test scores in of any developed country, the OEC, OECD country, and nobody can explain to me why that is. Why we spend sixteen thousand dollars per person per student, you know. No men. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and administrators and a bunch of so, things. So Nobody's lining their count. pocket all along the way to get that money where it needs to go. And they're like, well, exactly. I'll help you out, but I gotta put a few dollars in my pocket and then we'll, hey, I'll take it from here, relay race. I'll take the time and put some money in my pocket, but I'll take it from here. And all along the way, somebody's lining their pocket to be a part of the process. Yeah, for sure. And and like like you you take that to a, a a classroom right so if a classroom has just 20 kids that's $320,000 mm. and the teacher's making you know if he or she's lucky 50 60 right yeah where's where's the other 200 you know and uh $60,000 going where is it yeah it's it's a great question it's absolutely <laughs> a great question you know so that's the things that uh, i just think and you know um, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but like the more local a, a problem is, the more local the solution should be. And our federal government is way too big, trying to do way too many things and isn't very good at many of them. Mm-hmm. And so somebody like Trump, I've just voted for to throw a wrench into the system. Mm-hmm. And you can see it too. Like 
yeah, he's an asshole and he does a lot of stupid things. But there's also an element in, you know, in uh, many circles that are just out to get him because he's not playing for the team, you know. Right. And so um, I like that, honestly. I want to send more people to Washington that aren't playing for that team. And by team, I mean, you know, the, the, the few elite folks that are making a lot of money. On, uh, so let me ask you a question. What, what, is, yeah. what is the end game? What is an ideal situation for you? What, what would you like to ultimately have happen uh, by having <laughs> this wrench thrown in the works? What, what, what is, show me what, what's the, the perfect picture when all of the dust is settled and things are the way you want it to be? What would it be? Uh, we come home from endless wars mm-hmm. first. Um, and I don't know if this is part of his platform, so you know I'll probably go off on a tangent of things I want to do, right? But um, uh, the size and shape of government would be much smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, taxes would be lower. Um, we would end the drug war. Um, those are the things off the top of my head. Okay, uh, and so out of curiosity, so I'm just trying to think. Uh, we'll, we'll say. Uh, there is if we have a smaller uh, federal government and we don't i mean was it like was it like half of our budget uh, goes towards defense mm-hmm. and say we have a smaller government they don't have anywhere near the budget the money is, is staying within the states um and let's say north korea decides to launch a missile they finally found a way to get a, a missile uh intercontinental boom hit somewhere on the mainland um and they strike and we do not have the money in the budget to be quite as defense capable as we wanted to be to be able to shoot that missile down or do it because we've decided to kind of keep things among the states and it takes out california what do you think florida ought to do yeah i mean i i i respect the question but again like it's not black or white to me right like what i'm talking about is you know we defend germany from russia right now Mm-hmm. You know, we have 28,000 troops on the border of North Korea right now. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, last I saw, we have seven shooting wars that we're involved in mm-hmm. right now, including Afghanistan and Iraq, which we've been in for 19 years mm-hmm. in Afghanistan, 16 or 17 in, in Iraq. The World War II, we were in for four. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, a huge part of that budget goes to defending other countries and fighting meaningless regime change wars. So I think we could cut those tremendously and be smarter. Like there's no reason why, I, I think we spent something like $900 billion on, on defense. Yeah. Uh, there's no reason why we couldn't spend 80% of that and have uh, a more technologically 21st century force that doesn't have to have guys with uh, M16s on the ground uh, and defend ourselves from an attack from North Korea. Well, well I, I agree with that. I think the future of warfare is going to be more uh, internet-based than it's going to be. It's going to be more cyber than it is going to be uh, boots on the ground, blood and yeah. war. Yeah, so, I mean, and, and like Trump isn't, you know, uh, I I would think I would actually say I don't know for sure, but it seems to me, and it, you see a lot of indications of this is his his wish and his first instinct is to bring folks home, and he gets talked out of it 
by the folks around him. And maybe rightfully so. Maybe it is a huge mistake and we come home and we bring everybody home and something terrible happens. But uh, I just wish we weren't the, you know, weren't doing a lot of those things. Like it's, it's horrible. Mm -hmm. The, the way that it's, uh, it's hollowed out, you know, a lot of people, you know, veterans and PTSD and all those things. I mean, 19 years of war and we and we spend that money you know like i said defending germany against russia right like you want a health care plan bring all the troops home we can afford it you know what i mean um and uh we just get caught up in these things like you know china's another great example i i, I voted for him about china too uh you know in the up until 1998 when china was allowed into the wto some would say uh uh through a lot of corruption and someone also say uh, that, you know, they promised to do a bunch of things that they never did. Up until that point, they were a, a poor third world country. Mm-hmm. And you remember us growing up, everything was made in Taiwan, right? Made in Hong Kong uh, because we wouldn't buy from China. And uh, when, when they were allowed into the WTO, everything changed. Everything's now made in China. They're now a superpower. Mm-hmm. They're pretty soon they're gonna pass us economically. And one thing I really do respect about Trump, and you know, you can talk about its motives. I try not to get into motives, though it's very difficult. Uh, but uh, you know, he stood up to China in a way that no politician has since then. And you know, um, you can argue the methods and 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 that sort of thing, and you know, say yeah, that was a mistake, and I would agree with that. But just the concept of saying, you know what? We're not going to continue to hollow out our middle class and send all our industrial jobs to China anymore. We're going to do something about it. Right. Um, is is a huge sea change that I think needed to happen. You know, I, I agree with you on, on both of those things. I, I very much dislike the idea that we have people spread all over the the country, or at least as many people as we do. I have no problem having bases around the place. You know, as long as people are cool with us being there, if they, I'm cool with staying there. Um, you know, uh, and China, yes, definitely. I, you know, I actually went through a challenge. This was maybe a few years back, and I said, okay, for, and this is when we could still go to stores uh, and buy stuff, you know, without having to walk around with a mask all the time, but, uh, and things weren't out of stock. I'm going, everything I buy for a month, it can't be from China. I don't care where you're from, as long as it's not from China. I couldn't do yep. it. Yep. Couldn't do it. it, yeah. I, I, it at least, at least 50% of the stuff I had to buy, even after a dedicated search, was still made in China. It just was incredibly difficult. And the United States has become a country that uh, our, our main export is services. That's what we do. We peddle services. Everything's a subscription. Um, and that's where we start making our money. The, the tangibles uh, are hard to come by these days, mm-hmm. unless you go to Etsy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but um, this is the United States has become very comfortable. Uh, and I think we, I agree. And if this is part of what you're saying, that part of us needs to become very uncomfortable if we're ever going to get back to being comfortable, because uh, we've got some 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 hard decisions and some um, some things that we need to change in order to to get back to to what we need to be able to do. Because just burying our head in the sand, I say going back to say having Biden say, all right, let's say Biden's going to try and undo everything that Trump did, and uh, he's going to try and put all the pieces back together. Uh, it would be very much like putting our head back in the sand and ignoring some of the flaws that have been revealed. So I'm going to revise my answer to you before. Is there anything that Trump has done that I've liked? And one thing I would say that I have liked is that I think that he has shown 
just how flawed our government is. Yeah. So uh, him as a person, I, I, I'm not a big fan of and wouldn't want him in office, but I think that he has certainly revealed a lot of the holes and, uh, and the corruption, even though he's the one that I believe is benefiting and is the most corrupt. He's saying, hey, here's how I'm able to take money from you. See, I'm doing it this way, and I'm doing it this way, and I'm taking money here, and I'm taking money there. Um, so he's showing that. He's showing where all the little holes in the in the, the dam are, and the water's coming out, and we only have so many fingers we can plug them with. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that I think is good. And I want those to be fixed, and I want those to be revised. And my hope is that uh, presidents beyond Trump don't simply go back and erase the problems, but fix the problems. Yeah. That's what it's, I would like to have happen. And I believe that uh, we, Trump has exposed so much, far more than I'm comfortable with, that I'm, I'm, I say, I give, I give, uncle, uncle, okay, let's start fixing it. I don't want to put our head back in the sand. I don't want to go back to exactly the way things were, because I think then you're just, you're going to end up having somebody like Trump come back in and just blow it all up again. Um, it's, it's a powder keg and it's ready to blow. So what can we do to, to ease this mess? What can we do to go in and start fixing things? So ultimately, I don't want to erase Trump's presidency, but I would like to start fixing the things that he's revealed. Does that make sense? hundred percent. And uh, I find that impossible to disagree with. Um, you know, and it, it goes back to that question that you asked, like, what, what would, what would it, you know, what change would I want, you know, or, or why would it, what change would happen if, if I vote for Trump or re, you know, vote to reelect them? And, you know, it's funny, I've always, I've often thought of this is, you know, I think one of our biggest challenges is something so stupid, it's unintended consequences. And what I mean by that, a simple example that I use a lot that I stole from George Will years and years ago. I'm not sure it's still true, but it was true in like 2000. And he wrote for the Post, so you probably know that dude. But um, he, uh, he uh, his his point was uh, mohair. So in World War II, uh, the you know the soldiers' uniforms were made from mohair, mm. and so Congress enacted and the president signed a bill to uh, incentivize farmers. I think it's sheep's wool, right? So to to get you know whatever it is sheep you know to raise sheep and produce mohair so we'd have enough wool for these uniforms right. fast forward 55 years later and that incentive is still on the books hmm. so that's that's sort of the where i might even start is some sort of constitutional amendment or something along those lines that says look every time you pass a law after a period of time you are required to go back and measure the effects of that law, whether it produced the intended consequences that the law had intended or not, what the unintended consequences of that law are, and if you don't do that, it's got an expiration date. You know, Every law is passed for 10 years and you have to recertify through a process uh, before we start doing that. Because, you know, quite honestly, uh, I forget the numbers, but it's something like the Federal Registry of, of Law has 700,000 pages. Nobody understands it all. Nobody knows it all. It's so complicated that, you know, and, and we've seen this in some political ways over the past few years, you know, we can, if, if find me a man and I'll find you a crime, right? Yeah. Like the, the old Stalin statement. And, and it feels like we've gotten there. And so like, 
there's there's and you know you can see this everywhere and i'm gonna mess up the numbers because i can't remember them off the top of my head but you can pick out certain things and there's like 30 departments that do that you know (laughs) across you know what i mean like there's an agency here and there's an agency there and there's an agency it's insane and so like that to me it sounds it's really boring and and complicated but like that to me might be the best start is like let's go through the existing legal legal code and get rid of all the bullshit that we don't need anymore let's almost start over again what if we just like hit a reset button so let's start with a constitution again that's all we have let's rebuild it again let's start from scratch well you're giving a reason for a completely new division that we need to build (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, and and see, to me, that's like, that's uh, part of that is Congress, right? So the way they, I understand the framers wrote the Constitution is the Congress was supposed to have, uh, you know, preeminent power. Mm-hmm. And there are checks and balances, like the executive could say, no, that's not a constitutional law, I'm not going to sign it, right? Or I'm not going to implement it because I execute the laws. And, and the courts will decide when they disagree. But what, what's happened over time, and especially in the last 100 years, is we brought in the income tax and significantly increased the size of the federal government. It used to be like 3% of GDP, and now it's 22. And, um, and Congress doesn't do much anymore. And they, you know, they pass a bunch of laws, but most of the actual work in terms of legislating is done by regulators and agencies. Uh, they have, you know, even just declaring war, you know, that used to be something that it's in the Constitution. Congress declares war. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. The president just says, yeah, I'm attacking. Done. And so there's so many things like that where, you know, Congress, I believe, has abdicated its duties, isn't really doing what it's supposed to do, isn't really a check on either, quite honestly, executive or uh, the court power, because same thing with the Supreme Court. I love the way you describe the Supreme Court. But unfortunately, you know, because Congress doesn't do its job, in my opinion, the Supreme Court has been a place where where law gets created too, you know, uh, in many cases, and it shouldn't be that way. I agree with you that they should just be calling balls and strikes. But man, they're like they're moving in a lot of different ways. They're you know they define where the where the foul line is, or you know how far home plate is to first base, and things like that that um, they shouldn't be doing. So. I know there's a lot in there, but um, but yeah, I mean that's that's sort of my very broad abstract answer is is we need to sort of start over again and and really simplify what government is and what it does and what we think it can do effectively, and uh, you know leave the rest of the Tenth Amendment to the states or the people themselves. You know, uh, just and I, I really find it difficult to disagree with any of that. And so I think this is a true demonstration that if two people just sit down and talk it through a little bit and kind of tell where they're coming from and what it is that they're hoping to achieve, common ground can be found. Yeah, man. I love it. That feels like an end cap. So I'm going to have to move on, my friend, to the final part of our podcast. If you've listened before, you know what's coming. Mm-hmm. It's probably better if you haven't. But, uh, I've got 10 questions for you. This originally came from a French TV show called Bouillon de Couture. But uh, I saw it and, and I love a show that's no longer on TV. I think actually James Lipton passed away, but uh, yeah. it was called Inside the Actor's Studio. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to ask you these 10 questions. I appreciate your answers. The first one is, what is your favorite word? Uh, favorite word? Uh, Americana. <laughs> Americana. Why is that your favorite word? I'm curious. Uh, because I think of the the pictures that come in my mind when I think of 
Americana. I, it, it paints a happy picture for me. Yeah, like what you talked about your childhood. Like I just imagine Howard Johnson's and like, you know, old diners and all and that. Flyer stuff. Flyer flies out in you know the the field and you know <laughs> you know eating bacon in my mom's kitchen. I mean, just like there's just to me, there's just things that yeah. just, uh, make me think of uh, good times. Who's that? Is it Norman Mailer? That's the sort of early 1900s artist slash cartoonist that did a lot of that stuff. Um, Norman Miller was uh, the the author, I think, who was married to Marilyn Monroe. You're thinking Norman Rockwell, maybe? Maybe. I'm sorry. He was the, the famous artist who used to do the Saturday Evening Post covers. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I think that's it. Cool. All right. What is your least favorite word? Oh, that's easy. Irregardless. <laughs> is that because it's not a word? Yes. Uh, although yeah, it is man. now officially a word because people have used it so much that they've, they've brought it into the vernacular, but See? it drives me nuts. See, this is what I'm talking about. Right, <laughs> the one for me that's like that is ideation. <laughs> no, it's coming up with yeah. ideas. Okay, yeah. like yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah, cool. All right, what turns you on, creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? I would say just wit. I love wit. I like it too. That's why I love watching those debates too, is because that you know that's how you win them. I, I, it's it's not actually like necessarily good for figuring out what to do next, like in terms of what we just talked about. But it's a great game to watch, and wit wins. Um, yeah. <laughs> what turns you off? Oh God, what turns me off? Um, whining. <laughs> There's a great word that only English people use. I think it's whinging. Oh really? And it's kind of the same same thing, but I just think it sounds like what it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Stop whinging. I love it. Okay, good. That's great. What is your favorite curse word? Oh, easy, motherfucker. Love motherfucker. Yeah, man. I could use that all day. I could just write motherfucker on a chalkboard a hundred times <laughs> and it would just say everything <laughs> I'm thinking. Is that because of Eddie Murphy? Do you think or? No, it's just it's so fun to say. It's just it just rolls right out, and it just I find that I use it so much, uh, even quietly to myself. I will just mouth it quietly. I will yell it. It just it just seems to be an all-purpose good curse word for me. Yeah, and it can mean anything depending on the way you say it. I love it. Um, what sound or noise do you love? Um. I would say, um, probably a lot of people say this one, just the sound of my kids giggling. Not laughing, but giggling. The giggle. Like, just like yeah. that little Especially, fun little giggle, like they just found something really kind of cute and funny and they just kind of giggle to themselves. I think that's great. Uh, that just awesome. pull on belly laughter, it's it's fine, but sometimes I'm just like, uh, that wasn't that funny. But a little giggle, I'm like, oh, that was just, it was good. It's like, just, just the right amount. I love it. Yeah, and for sure, it's like the random one when they're by themselves. You're like, what the hell's going on oh, over there? Isn't right? the like, best? <laughs> brains work. It's wonderful. Yeah, okay. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, I would say it's a tie between smoke detectors and my child screaming. <laughs> Either one just kind of grates on my nerves and will instantly create a sense of panic. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I have always given um, some some entertaining idea of someday being a writer. Mm. Of anything, whether it's a, a blog, a novel, children's book, but just, just writing and just not relying on pictures, but actually going back to the written word. 
<laughs> you know, it's funny. I've, I've thought that too. And, and, you know, I have to admit to you that part of the reason I decided to start messing around with a podcast is writing is too hard. <laughs> it takes too much work, man. Let me just. It's because every time I start writing, I'm like, it takes me forever to write what I want to write. Yeah, exactly. Like, I can just throw my dumb face in front of a microphone and talk for a while versus like sitting down and doing work, you know? You're like speaking my language. I love it. Simplify. 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 Yeah, for sure. Okay. What profession would you not like to do? Oh, anything that requires me to be high up. So like a window washer or the guy who has to change the bulb at the top of the Empire State Building. Like, nope, <laughs> nope, nothing. Yeah. Those those sh- those pictures terrify me. Like the oh, old picture I, when they're building like the Empire State Building and there's guys just sitting on a oh no having lunch a, and they're just sitting yeah. on the beam. I'm like oh no, yeah. nope. <laughs> sitting on an I beam at like a hundred stories high. Um, yeah, no thank you. Nope. And see that those were real men, not me. Yeah. Nope. Yep. <laughs> For yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. All right. So uh, last question: If mm-hmm. heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, wow. Um, I don't know that I'd want God to say anything. I'm just a hug. <laughs> a hug says a lot, man. And that goes back to what we're talking about. Sometimes actions, even pictures, are much more important than I'll words. Just so that's hug. great. <laughs> hug sounds great to me, man. Listen, I really appreciate you doing this. It's been a blast. We'll have you on again, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate it. This has been The Country with Justin Weller, episode eight. We really appreciate you listening. You can find us at our website, thecountry.news. We're on Apple Podcasts. And you can find us on Twitter at thecountryusa. Facebook, thecountryusa. Come and check us out. Peace.